0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men In Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men In Blazers pod special. Our guest today is a remarkable man. A Premier League manager who, seven years ago, at the tender age of a mere 31, took the helm Bournemouth Football Club. At the time, the Cherries were a world away from the Premier League, fighting for their lives in the bowels of League Two, English football's single-A baseball equivalent. A heroic last-day-of-the-season win kept the financially struggling club alive. They kept on winning against all the odds, against the naysayers, climbing up the English Football League pyramid. Last season, they won promotion to the promised land of the Premier League. Few believed a club so tiny could survive amidst the apex predators of the top flight. But after 31 games, the Cherries are 12 points above the relegation zone and they stand within inches of surviving the gauntlet of a 38-game Premier League season, which in my mind would be one of the most remarkable top flight managerial achievements of all time so with great personal pleasure we welcome to the pod the one and only mr eddie how
1: hello how are you doing
0: oh eddie i'm so pleased to speak to you you join me fresh back from an international break team trip to dubai after your win against swansea the week before last your fans chanted we are staying up Is it safe to say that boring a catastrophe of Dustin Johnson proportions, Eddie, that you can start preparing for life in the Premier League next season?
1: The way I'd prefer to say it is we've certainly put ourselves in a good position and it's in our hands. So we've done well to this point, but we've got to try and finish the job. And as we know in this league, no one gives you anything, you've got to earn it. So we still feel we need some more points to achieve our target.
0: Earn it and then some, Eddie. I mean, you are just... 38 years old your managerial career only eight seasons long but already we've watched you complete more tasks than hercules the miracle great escape from league two relegation zone in 2009 when you inherited the team 10 points adrift at the bottom of the english football league promotion after promotion through the football pyramid against all the odds and the footballing truth that economics determines glory before the season Bournemouth were most pundits' relegation favourites. Where would you say keeping Bournemouth in the Premier League would rank in terms of personal satisfaction and professional challenge?
1: Well, firstly, I think in reaction to that question, I must thank you very much for your kind words. I mean, I think you, uh, you should be my agent, I think. <laughs> with, uh, with some of the things you said, that's very nice. Yeah, It would have to be right up there at the top. I don't know. I haven't thought about What's the best achievement? But I think the, um, the Premier League, anything you achieve in the Premier League, I think has to be elevated because of the, the test of the league and everything that it brings. This season so far, I think it's difficult for me to comment because we haven't achieved it yet. So I hate to get ahead of myself and say things that uh, might come back to haunt me. So uh, as I say, we're in a good position, but we still have work
0: to do. I first met you before the season. We talked about how your first Premier League campaign would feel. You were braced like a footballing David, prepared to battle Goliath week after week after week. Can you describe physically, mentally, 31 games in, how has it felt for you personally compared to seasons past?
1: Yeah, I think it's been the hardest season emotionally. The complexity of the league, the pressure that you're under, the interest in the league makes it compelling and it it makes it every day more of a challenge, I think. Personally, I found this season the hardest so far on on many different levels but one of the most enjoyable because we've certainly been tested and taken out of our comfort zone and examined in many different levels that can only hopefully benefit us for the future so the hardest but one of the most enjoyable
0: (laughs) it's so funny you use the word enjoyable because at a recent press conference you were asked if you've been able to savour watching your side along the way (laughs) and you replied (laughs) <laughs> I've not enjoyed a moment. Is that really true, Eddie?
1: Yeah, well, I think... I don't want to confuse people with what I'm saying here. <laughs> I think in a time like now, I can enjoy it because it's an international break and you get a chance just to look back and reflect ever so slightly on the season so far and everything that's happened. And I think it's only when you look back and have a chance to reflect, you can enjoy what's happened. I think when you're in it, you know, me before Manchester City... Um, In the build-up to that game, am I enjoying everything? I'd say probably not because you're so focused on the challenge and you want to achieve and do well. At the end of the season, if we can hit our goals, then I've enjoyed it then. But I think it's difficult in the moment.
0: How is it harder to manage in the Premier League than the Championship? Can you give me a concrete example, describe in simple terms to a man like me who dreams of being a top-flight manager but who's simply not had the good luck in job interviews?
1: Um, I would say that every decision you make, more people are assessing whether it's a good decision or bad decision. I think that's the most simple way I can give you an answer to that question. I think in a championship level, yes, your own fans might question what you're doing, but no one really beyond or outside of the club. But I think at the Premier League level, you have the, the media interests, the constant scrutiny you're under in that respect means that every decision is judged by more people. And I think... You need to, I think when you're in this position as a manager, you need to try and get as many decisions right as you can. I think that's one of the arts of the job, is your decision-making and it's tested every day.
0: I hate to do this, Eddie, but let me take you back to dark times. Last November, a run of five defeats. Many of them blowouts, back-to-back four goal beatdowns, a plague of knee ligament injuries ripping the heart out of your squad. Leaking goals, you're mired in the bottom three. 19th place, you'd taken just nine points out of the first 13 games. Was there a moment in the course of that first third of the season when you were shell-shocked?
1: No, not shell-shocked. I think we were braced for a battle, braced for a a really tough examination of us. You know, I think we've had an incredible journey, as as you said, at this club. It hasn't been a sea of success, but there's been some really good times. I think then we needed to batten down the hatches and work even harder and try and find a way to keep going, to keep trying to win and to turn turn around our season. It was a difficult time, I think, when, when you're not winning and you're, you're finding things difficult. I think that's when you really find out more things about yourself and your team. Thankfully, uh, the lads have responded since those times.
0: You're a very positive man. You only need to spend a couple of minutes around the staff at Bournemouth, to realise what a positive club and atmosphere you fostered. You had consecutive 5-1 defeats against both Manchester City and Spurs, the latter during which a public address system mistakenly broadcast someone saying, it's men against boys. Was there a moment at all when you started to second-guess your philosophy, your style of football, positive football, demanding your team play the ball out of the back?
1: No. I didn't at any time doubt our philosophy or doubt whether we could be successful playing this way. I think what it did is focus our minds on finding solutions to the problems we had in the team. The injuries had changed the dynamic of the side and we had to um, look at that and try and find a way that the team could function better than it was. But I also think from my perspective and my staff's perspective, I think there was an expectation that this was going to happen. There were going to be moments like this. There might be moments ahead that might be harder than those times when you're playing the quality side that we are to have unrealistic expectations of what you can achieve to sometimes be demotivating. So I think there was a, an understanding but obviously a willingness to improve and thankfully the players took that on and were able to come out of that spell and come out of it a
0: better team. Can I ask you, in those dark days, personally, how much do results eat you up? Do you sleep fitless sleep when your team is in the relegation zone?
1: It's not a nice feeling. I wouldn't say I lost any sleep over it. I'm not one to stay awake worrying. I think all you can focus on is your work and make sure you come to work better and stronger for what you're going through, more determined to get the team winning again. But it's not enjoyable. It's not a time where you, you relish it because you don't see a way out of it at that moment. But you know that if you keep doing the right things, then football being football will mean that you will get rewarded for it if you keep trying to do what you believe is right.
0: What was the turning point of the season in your mind, Eddie?
1: A few things. I think the balance of the team, I think, was improved after that period. I think the Everton game, the Swansea game was, was a turning point because we got a point on the board after a run of four without. The Everton game oh. was bizarre. The end of the Everton game was absolutely <laughs> bizarre, but I think it gave us renewed belief that we still have our spirit And we're not easily beaten. and I think that was really important. And then, of course, the next two games with Chelsea and Manchester United where we sort of elevated ourselves to performance I didn't think we knew we were capable of at the time. And from that moment, really, I don't think we've we've had too many bad nights or bad days after that period.
0: The Everton game, stoppage time insanity. Everton went 3-2 up through Ross Barkley in the 95th minute, only for junior Stanislas to find the back of the net in the 98th. You said after the game to score in the manner we did at the end of the game was one of the biggest highs that you've had in football. This from a man who's pretty well seen it all at every level. But you then went on a run of 10 points for the next four games, back-to-back wins against Chelsea and Manchester United, doubling your points total with three wins and a draw. How did you understand tactically Technically, psychologically, emotionally, what had suddenly changed? What had flipped for your Bournemouth?
1: Very simple, really. I don't think it was groundbreaking. Just the players suddenly believed that they were good enough. You need results to fully believe it. I think performances can give you that confidence to a degree, but it's the results you need just to, to rubber stamp it. And I felt we'd, we'd perform well in certain games and hadn't got what we deserved. and Then we played Chelsea... Manchester United and winning those games, I think, meant everything to us. I think that was a moment when the players think, yeah, we're actually OK here. Now, to maintain results and performances, you can never think you're OK. You always have to prove that you can compete. Uh, that, that's my belief at the moment, where we are at this level. And then Whenever we come away from our best levels, we find it difficult. So it's been a case of just making sure we, we carry on producing good performances.
0: I want to ask you about a couple of sensational moments during that run. Right after the Everton meltdown slash Bournemouth rally, you go to Chelsea, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea, December 5th. Fine defensive stand by Bournemouth, a late goal by substitute powerball Glenn Murray, allow you to defeat the defending champions. Your fans reminded the Chelsea faithful that Bournemouth come from League Two. I mean, Bournemouth Stadium, it's one of the tiniest in the modern era, 11,000. 700 seater. How has it felt for you to lead out a team at Arsenal when two years ago you were playing against Doncaster, Yeovil, Huddersfield Town?
1: Very proud. I would say from the moment we got into the Premier League with every game, there's almost been an historic moment for the club. And I think going to Liverpool in our second game was really powerful for us, the history involved in that stadium. And yeah, you can reel them off one by one. Wherever we've been, the Bournemouth fans have supported us. I think understanding this season for us was always going to be a very difficult one. They've been magnificent for us. As you say, going to Chelsea and defeating them in the way that we did, in the manner that we did, because we we still played our football, was a a memorable night. and I think that'll be the one so far this season where we look back on in years to come and remember very, very fondly.
0: I love the Manchester United game. The next game, you had the magical Harry Arter return to the side... Two days after tragically losing a baby daughter during birth. Arta told the team before kickoff, I've experienced how short a life can be, and what happened to my little baby could happen to someone in this team. Make sure you give everything today because these football moments are not going to last forever. The team then went out and dominated dominated Manchester United in a two-one victory. What was it like for you to manage the emotion? of such a delicate trauma outside of football that impacted your whole team?
1: I think it made us all realise, sometimes you need little reminders in life, how fragile it can be, how precious it is. and We really felt for Harry and his family at that period, very, very difficult for him. You could see how the whole thing had affected him. And it was a time where we needed to stand next to one of our teammates and support him really and I thought the the players around Harry were outstanding for him I thought he was magnificent for them and as a club I think we've always been a real tight group very family orientated so I think that's one of our strengths able to support each other and it was a, a, a very special day albeit I think everyone even after the game and as much as the euphoria of the win meant everything the case really where we just wanted to support Harry and check that he was
0: okay. You've only lost five matches since then, a run that has lifted the team 12 points clear of the bottom three and just two points off a place in the top half of the table. Your team have no obvious star player. Nobody scored more than five goals. What do you think has been your special source, your secret?
1: I think it's what it's always been for us and it's about the team. It's always been about the team. It's never been about one player. We've had some really talented lads, and we still have some very talented lads in the squad. But I think the team is the the strength, and everyone within that team sacrifices themselves for the good of the side. Got really unselfish players. The work ethic, professionalism is a credit to the players. So uh, it's been an absolute honour and privilege to lead the team this season, as it has the others. And I think for us, the big challenge is not to lose any of those characteristics that have got us here. I think that is what I have to protect and make sure we don't lose.
0: One of my favourite Bournemouth stats this season, your team have covered more ground, 2,181 miles than any other team in the league hard-charging cherries you have been. But how did the November arrival of new American part owners Peak Six Investments, the Chicago-based private equity firm who own a stake in, in the NHL's Minnesota Wild, change everything. You were immediately able to break the club transfer record by spending $40 million on new striker Benicophobe.
1: Yeah, I mean, the support we got in January was very, very important for the club. I've been very lucky since I've returned to the club. The support that I've received from Maxim Denham, the boards, from the chairman the chief executive it's been another team effort behind the scene you never achieve anything with individuals and the board and and everyone that financially plays a part have been just as important as everybody else the american owners that have come in have been great and they supported everything that we wanted to do in january i think a harmonious working relationship away from the pitch is is so important as i said earlier so hopefully those relationships will continue to grow in the future
0: the arrival of a phobie though, and the return from long-term injury for fellow striker Max Gradel, it's made a massive difference watching you, not just in attack, but you concede far less goals when you've got a real attacking threat that can force the opposition back and give your defenders and midfielders more space to build the plate.
1: Sometimes people focus on the goals that you're missing if, if certain attacking players get injured, but it's not just that. It's the threat that you pose whether it be in possession or on the counter-attack, that can sometimes force an opponent back. So I think the attacking side has a massive effect on our defensive displays, and I would agree that I think the return of a couple of attacking players has made our defence look stronger. Just in general, I think we look a stronger outfit, our bench looks stronger. Hopefully when we get a couple more back as well, that will only help us towards the tail end of this season.
0: I've got to ask you this. Newcastle, Sunderland, Aston Villa, historically, so much bigger than Bournemouth, Newcastle spent $40 million in January alone. Looking at the first 31 games, what do Bournemouth have that they don't?
1: I don't know. I think that's a difficult one for me to answer. The season's not over yet, and I think we'll be judged over 38 games. But I think the only thing I can say from our perspective are the things that I mentioned earlier, uh, and the fact that we've got a great mentality to our training, a great mentality to um, the games... And we've got players that are out on the pitch and give everything for each other. That's certainly been a big effect for us.
0: What happens now, Eddie, at the end of this season? Do you plan to recharge your own batteries? Or does 2016-17 season prep start right away for you?
1: Well, I think we're, we're always preparing for next season, regardless of what division we're going to be in. There's another season. We know there'll be another season next year that we have to prepare for. So preparations for that season are underway already. Recharging batteries. I think I might need to recharge maybe this season more than previous seasons, just because of the emotional effect that the Premier League has had. But I think it's pretty relentless. Maybe you know a few days where you can just unwind slightly, but then I think it's full steam ahead into another campaign. And I don't think we'd want it any other way because I think when you don't have football to prepare for to watch you find a big empty void in your life? I think I've come to expect it now. It's worked pretty much all year round.
0: I can relate to that about football and missing it. But do you worry now your success begets new challenges as a manager of a smaller club that some bigger club in the food chain will come and sniff around your Matt Ritchie's, your Harry Arters, your Charlie Daniels?
1: I think it's always been one of our biggest challenges. I think I've been on record many times saying our biggest thing we have to do is try and keep our best players together. And it's not going to be easy because these players have done so well for us over an extended period of time. Naturally, they're going to get some admirers from other clubs. And that's where hopefully the, the environment we create here, the place that we are a very special place in the country that we live, and our ambitions can keep the team together for a few more years yet so they can achieve their dreams with us.
0: I believe that what you've achieved with that club on that budget is one of the most remarkable achievements in Premier League history, Eddie but football never stops to give anyone a moment to rest on their laurels. How far can Bournemouth go? How far do you believe you can take them?
1: Difficult question. I'm not sure. I haven't really put a ceiling on what we can achieve. For me, it's always about short-term decisions to make the long-term future bright. I think that's my way of managing. So there's always a long-term vision, but you have to get the short-term right in between. Our focus is on the now and of course on next season and, I think our mindset is we want to try and win every game and see where we are at the end of each season. And I think one of our mantras has always been, since I've been here, is to try and improve every year. So we've managed to do that. Where that will take us, I don't know. But my desire next season would like to see us improve on this year.
0: I've got to ask you, has watching Leicester City and their achievements this season made you change your belief about what's possible?
1: We, watching Leicester has been great. It's been great to see someone new compete at the top end of the division. Not just them. you obviously got top, Tottenham having such a great season. And other clubs as well. It's been uh, been a strange season in that respect. It's been unlike the Premier League to see the big clubs not dominating the top of the league. I think it's dangerous to make too many comparisons to Leicester. It could be dangerous because we would have a long way to go before we could get ourselves in that position. But never say never. Who knows? the dream would be to build a team that could get into their position. Whether that's ever achievable, I don't know.
0: Last question, Eddie. When I was in Bournemouth pre-season, the thing that struck me more than anything was that everybody I encountered kept telling me, Bournemouth is a learning club that you, Eddie Howe, expect everyone, players, coaches, front office staff, to always be receptive and open to learning new things. Eddie, what's the most important lesson you've learnt about yourself from this first Premier League odyssey?
1: That's a difficult question to answer very quickly. I'm just trying to shift through. I've got all day, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) I would say to be very strong in the face of of any doubters and to stick to what you believe is right. I've always had a very strong opinion on that right from my first few days of management, but If I was going to attack management, I was going to do it my way. You get a lot of outside opinion, a lot of outside influences that will tell you certain things or try and advise you on certain things, but the only person that you can or have to answer to is yourself, and you need to make sure you're true to yourself. And that's why I've been so strong over certain things that I believe we need to protect and that I believe is the right way for this club to go about its business, and I think that will be the biggest thing I've learned this year.
0: I adore and revere that answer. Eddie, thank you for being with us. You and your team have thrilled every Premier League fan this season. We wish you Godspeed against Manchester City this weekend, even though I'm sure you won't need it. Eddie Howe and Bournemouth, courage.
1: Thank you very much.